Hey, Carl and Richard here. As you may have heard, NDC is back, offering their incredible in-person conferences around the world. And we'd like to tell you about them. NDC Security Oslo has been rescheduled to April 3rd through the 6th. Go to ndc-security.com to register. NDC London has been rescheduled to May 8th through the 12th. Go to ndc-london.com to register. NDC Copenhagen is March 14th through the 17th. Go to ndccopenhagen.com to register. NDC Porto is happening April 24th through the 28th. Early bird discount for NDC Porto ends February 1st. Go to ndcporto.com to register. NDC Minnesota is happening September 27th through the 30th. Go to ndcminnesota.com to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. Welcome to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, it's Geek Out number one. We don't know if we're going to have another one after this, but you've been busy, Mr. Campbell. Well, you know, I keep notes all year long uh, and all the time, right? I keep notes no matter what. That's just how I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I, the past two weeks, I have consciously poured myself into finishing these notes, getting them together into a, a narrative that I'm happy with, so to say. What can we say about the past year yeah. and, in each of these topics in space and okay. in the pandemic and, and energy and so forth. So uh, it's a lot. Yeah. It's just one of those things. So much has happened. It was a stunning year for space. Mm. It was a remarkable year for power. And and that the pandemic has evolved. Like, there's a lot to talk about there, without a doubt. Okay. All right. So uh, do we want to do a better know framework? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. Roll the music. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? So I'm, I'm sorry that I've, I'm finding all these great things before the holidays. And, you know, now that uh, now that it's practically over. Yeah, effectively over. Effectively <laughs> over. Yeah. Uh, now I'm finding all these cool things. Um, yeah, of course. The first one is Zamstar. So this is a Samsung, basically, C-Lab project. Uh, that it, it came out of that, and it's um, a, a, a guitar that has little LED lights on the fretboard, so it oh, shows you where to place your fingers. But not only that, but there's an app where you can uh, you can play a part on the guitar and add effects, and then you can sync it up with other musicians around the world. So it's it's like. Uh, Engadget says it's clearly a riff on the COVID-19 TikTok trend of musical collaborations. Remember all those sea shanties early this year? A <laughs> <laughs> trying trying to forget. Yeah, the idea of making it easy to sync up your music and uh so so that's that's it's it's pretty cool, you know, it's been done before but uh, yeah. it's um just kind of neat. It reminds me of the old Guitar Hero guitars except it's a real guitar, right? It's real. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. cool. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of into the guitar toys lately. So maybe I'll do Oddly some more enough. of those uh, next few times. So who's talking to us today, Richard? 
I grabbed a comment off the last Geek Out, 1720, the 2020 Geek Out we did, um, which oddly enough sort of broke into that same thing of pandemic, space, renewable energy, you know, that sort of same topics. Unfortunately, we're still talking about the bloody pandemic, but what are you going to yeah. do? Uh, and this comment's from uh, Tony, who says, uh, hey, great show. I missed the Geek Outs. I was thinking in November that we had to be close to having one. We were long overdue. The one show a week also threw me off, and I didn't realize it's been so long. I wish you'd do one a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I'll, I I need to spin it off, but you know we'll we got to get some other things finished. Right, first. right. Uh, a few items he he had, uh, which is why I read this comic. This is very cool. Uh, from listening to the show, I lived near Three Mile Island Ooh. when I was young, uh, I, and I was young, about ten years old when the incident happened. I remember my parents being very concerned and listening to the news reports. And we and I I live within the ten mile radius of the Limerick power plant. I explained to my kids as long as you see steam coming from one of the two towers, we're fine. If no steam is coming out of either tower. We should go somewhere yeah. else, whether there's a siren or not. <laughs> very fair. Very fair. I didn't know uh, that. And there has been. A, a, well, yeah, because that means it's running, right? If the turbines are turning, it's pumped. That's hot water going into the cooling tower. So there's going to be steam coming off. And it's uh, assumed, I guess, that it always has to be running. Well, it, normally it's generating electricity. That's its job. So right. if the power plant is running, then it's fine. If it's in some kind of emergency then the turbines are not running, and that's not fine. Now, it might be cold for another reason, but that's very unusual. There's always at least, they always build them in pairs for a reason. You always want at least one plant running. Okay, good to know. Uh, Tony goes on to say, and there have been great strides in solar energy. There are even solar shingles for roofing. Yeah. Yeah, there are, but they got some problems. Mm. I like and want solar shingles, but I've already replaced the roof in the last 10 years. And at a cost of about $2,000 per square for solar shingles versus 500 for normal shingles, I can't justify the cost as I see us moving in 10 years and would not be able to recoup it. Mm. Uh, I do not like how some houses in the neighborhood have big panels on their roofs, as I find that distracting. Do you see the cost of solar shingles coming down? Or a better question, are they efficient regular solar panels? No. Yeah, they're, they're not. not as efficient. Uh, they are more expensive, but they are being improved. It was really uh, Tesla, Elon's uh, solar company. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they changed the name to Tesla as well, which is frustrating because it's a separate business. Yeah. Uh, they came up with the original solar shingle, and they had a ton of problems. They've now made a Gen 2 that's more efficient and has uh, fewer install problems. Um, they are still staying very expensive. Does Tesla currently have the most efficient solar shingles? Not especially. There's others out there. None of them are terribly efficient. This is right. about aesthetics, yeah, right? right. That, but, I mean, the reality is you've got to assess how much power consumption you, you, you have. You still don't end up replacing every shingle with a solar one anyway yeah. because that's more solar panel than you need. Right. Um, but they, you are paying an extra price for the look, okay. for better or worse. And and the complexity installation, too. I mean, the upside to... Those regular panels is that they're mass manufactured, so they're much cheaper. They install easier. It's just a, a simpler system all around. Something that uh, occurs to me is that most people typically have one side of their house that faces south. And yeah. so you're only going to put solar shingles on that side. So they kind of have to match the rest of the shingles if you're going, yeah. if you're going for aesthetics. But, but they also have regular shingles as part of the kit that are not solar. Mm, okay, that's good. Uh, and so you, it blends in. By the way, you, you do tend to now these days, because the panels are as cheap as they are, put them on the east and west as well. Because you, you, you don't get as much power per panel, mm. but you get power for longer. Mm. 
So based on the price of panels, you know, it's also why you see fewer and fewer panels that actually articulate and follow the sun. Yeah. When the panels were really expensive, the cost of the motors and the maintenance made sense. But now the panels have gotten so much cheaper, it doesn't. Artificial heliotropism. (laughs) (laughs) And one last thing for Tony here, his final thoughts. I hear a lot of people talk about Elon Musk and his great ideas. Is it really that he had the great ideas or he hires great and smart people allowing them to think outside the box? As an example, is he more of an encourager or enabler for rocket scientists to try new ideas as opposed to tweaking designs from the 70s? Mm. Or having smart developers who want to control the system for the whole car, including the seats, as opposed to him going to the designers and telling them he wants seats designed by them? Or does he just listen to Mark Miller's tweets? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, while I think he is smart, came up with some great ideas for SpaceX and Tesla, and and presents a grand vision of living on Mars, I think his strength is more in encouraging employees not to settle and allow them to try crazy things. People can be really smart if no one holds them back mm. and they don't get stuck on old ideas. Yeah, uh, And it's a great thought, Tony. I mean, you were right that Elon certainly grabbed up a lot of frustrated rocket people and said, what if you could do anything? You know, there's key folks behind the motors and the designs and so forth. Uh, in the case of the car, you know, there was already a car company and he bought into it and ultimately took control of it. The vertical integration thing is very much an Elon fixation that we make everything um, that's sort of self-referential. Every time he has a problem with a product that wasn't made by him, it makes him want to make more of the product. Uh, certainly in the rocket side that served, you can debate it more on the car side because making cars is really, really hard. Yeah. Um but yeah, he's been really great. You know, part of his whole hype engine is to get great people to come to him so that he can enable them. And I think it's one of the problems he's having right now, especially on this, when we get to the space side and have this conversation, is that the expansion in the market has meant that many, he doesn't have as many great people as he used to have. He's lost some great folks, too. And so some of his products are struggling more. Uh but yeah, nobody's successful on their own. Uh, certainly, you can't. They, you know, Elon comes with certain biases, and he's got that weird billionaire's disease. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's no way you're not affected by being the wealthiest person in the world. That's true. Right? That that's gonna make you a little nuts. Um, but it is it is what it is. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code by it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there too. And if we comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet and uh, use your guitar if you if you can. That is, I don't know. <laughs> Just look for the little LED lights. Look It'll help Look for the you. blinky lights. Little blinky lights. Yeah. Sorry, that's the best I could come up with off the top of my head. Uh, that is a good one. And it's from CES, too, which, you know, most people are going to be listening to this pretty close to CES starting, which is, it's all awesome. Yeah. All right. Good. That's cool. Cool, man. So uh, what topic are we starting with today? Well, we did the pandemic last year. I guess we kind of have to do the pandemic this year. I think last year I was saying, hey, don't worry. We got vaccines. This is going to be over soon. And, uh, well, not feeling very over, is it? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> uh, while we're recording this, of course, it's only a few days before publish. Uh, we are in the midst of the, the Omicron surge in a big way. Uh, epidemiology, which is the statistical science of disease propagation, says that variants are a normal course for a disease mm-hmm. and that the process inevitably increases in it with infectionness because evolution will always favor the more infectious right 
but tends to degrade its lethality. Yeah. Uh, Omicron appears to be following that pattern. Right. That it is, uh, I mean, first off, you got to resist anthropomorphizing a virus. Right. right? Which humans are prone. You want to put a face on the enemy. Uh, a virus is not even alive, right. much much less anthropomorphic, right? It doesn't eat. It doesn't respirate. It doesn't even really reproduce. Mm. It propagates, Yeah. right? It's a chunk of genetic code that injects itself into other cells to make more copies of that genetic code. But it does stuff. That's for sure. It is effective as a propagator. And one of the byproducts of its propagation is occasionally death and other harms. Yeah. Uh, for better or worse. And so Omicron clearly, and we're, you know, again, I'm effectively predicting the future. Omicron is clearly wildly infectious. It has overwhelmed the Delta variant in remarkably little time. It also seems to, and I don't know that this has been proven, but it seems to have a shorter life cycle. That's uh, yeah. It does seem to infect faster, and then and the CDC go literally faster. just announced you can cut it off. And yeah, if you're going to get ill, you'll get ill quickly, and then you'll recover quickly or not, as the case may be, right. and then um, go on your on its way. Now, this is also a normal process in epidemiology mm -hmm. that you will get more inf these more infectious variants, and they'll be more, more rapid. Um, so we can look forward to more infectious variants that do less harm well that's that's and again you think about h1n1 the flu which is literally a derivation of the spanish flu of 1918 has been doing this for a hundred years right becoming a better propagator but nobody thinks anything of going to the grocery store every winter or every late fall and getting a flu shot right well, they're certainly not. And we don't think about wearing masks during flu season. Although I, I, last time I had a real job, which admittedly was a really long time ago, <laughs> uh, we had an office manager who religiously every day in the cold and flu season would come in early and would wipe down the doorknobs and the handsets on all the phones mm. and all the surfaces with antibacterials. Um, to try and keep us from getting sick. And it worked. We, yeah. we had far fewer out days than most folks. That's good. Um, obviously, with COVID-19, we're dealing with a, a respiratory ailment that propagates primarily through respiration mm. as opposed to fomite contamination or landing on surfaces and then you touch them. Right. And we talked about so, this last time that we thought yes. originally that we might have to, you know, boil our shoes and, you know, it might yeah. be on surfaces. Well, in the... Because normal coronavirus, the typical colds that come from coronavirus, are primarily fomite contaminators. The novel part of the novel, uh, makes COVID-19 novel, is this aerosolization, its ability to sustain in air. And one of the arguments for why Omicron is so much more infectious even than Delta is that it's improved its aerosolization, that it's sustaining in the air for longer. What's the story with eyes? I Somebody said that uh, people get infected through their eyes a it's lot more. It's possible, but there's, n there's a question of evidence. The eyes are quite salty and resistant. Uh, and and they normally manage lipids well, and in the end, uh, COVID-19 is a lipid envelope virus. Not all viruses have lipid envelopes. And, is it a lipoprotein uh, or a lipid? It's a lipid. All right, it's so it is oil. Yeah, mm. it is oil. 
Uh, because we, we the, the trick here is it's hard to, there isn't ACE2 receptors in the eyes, mm-hmm. right? They're not peristaltic tissue. So there's nothing for the virus to bind to or reproduce on. So you wouldn't see an infection in the eyes. Is it possible that these aerosol protocols would stick to your eyes and move into your body to then propagate onto parasol tissues? Possibly. But respiration is a far more effective vehicle. Yeah. Your inhalations draw a lot more yeah. material into your body than just bouncing off your eyes. And especially if you have you glasses know. on and that kind of thing. Well, glasses are going to help, help, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So the, the case is pretty strong for you get COVID-19 by breathing it in from someone else. Yeah. And typically in a relative proximate environment, the two meter thing was an early number that wasn't really based on COVID-19, but more on, on uh, lipid envelope virus behaviors in general, of which COVID-19 is unusual. So we can question the two meter rule. Mm. Uh, but certainly when contact tracing was possible, and you see contact tracing basically baking down now because there's so many cases. Right. The pretty consistently we find that people were infected with the earlier variants by spending an extended period of time, an hour or more, with someone who is infected mm. in an enclosed area, yeah. in a in a room, you know, without at all of air circulation and so mm. forth. Um, and as the newer variants came along, the deltas now with Omicron, that interpretation had expanded. You know, these variants changed the rules. Omicron seems to be able to be infectious for such a long time that you you somebody may have sung in a room and left that room mm-hmm. and then other people could come into it and may still get infected by it. Wow. Um, but the basic rules of mask wearing, air circulation, staying outside, like all of those things clearly appear to help mm-hmm. uh, and and to uh, to decrease the risk of infection. So we're making progress. I mean, the side effect of this particular variant now, it, we're seeing very clearly uh, because it's a very unusual variant. The, the previous versions had very simple lineages of evolution, that there were only small changes by genetic mapping from, from the alpha to the delta variant and so forth. Omicron is a radical change. The current theory is, A, this did not come from South Africa. It was just South Africa reported it. Right that it was very likely in some of the smaller countries in the southern part of Australia. The best paper I've read so far is out of Botswana. And, and this Botswana scientist was taught, his, he had done more of the mapping earlier on it, but the Botswana government didn't report it to the World Health Organization. It was ultimately South Africans. It was sad that the South Africans were you know, vilified for doing the responsible thing, yeah. but that's what happened. Yeah. Um, that the changes in Omicron actually make it look more like a traditional coronavirus. The, the, the scientist in question proposed, and again, this is just a theory or a hypothesis, that someone who had a common cold then caught COVID-19 and the two RNA strands messed around with Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So very substantial. What made Omicron, what got public health officials worried when Omicron first surged on is that it was so very different mm from the previous strains. But that was also just genetic statistical math. They hadn't de- done the detailed map yet. They had just done some straight chemical comparisons and said, wow, this is really weird. It's quite a bit different. Mm. This was the fellow who had looked at it for very early on and, and had done better mapping and said, this looks like more like the common cold. Mm. So it's one of those breaking jump, uh, evolutionary jumps rather than a minor jump. I'd also point out that 
there's a reason why it was coming out of Southern Africa. The vaccination rates there are stunningly low. Botswana is in the single digits. Wow. Um, even even South Africa is only in the 10, 20, maybe 30 percent range. Mm. And so far more people are getting it. Uh, it is incubating more often there. Uh, and this particular variant seems to be able to hide itself uh, from the antibodies. Yeah. So we are seeing more breakthrough infections. Yeah. But we're but generally speaking, the the same pattern is persisting, which is that vaccinated people, while they can get it, can have a breakthrough infection, tend to have very mild cases, mm -hmm. and unvaccinated people have more severe cases and are far more risk. Yeah, um, you know that that much hasn't changed. There's another aspect of this, which is that with this rapid propagation around the world and a lot of new cases arriving, the chances for a new mutation to emerge increase. So right. if you're following the Greek alphabet, we're at Omicron now because we skipped a few. Uh, the next letter would be pi, which I suspect they'll skip as well because who wants anything bad associated with pi? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, the, the next letter after that is rho, R-H-O, rho. Uh, so you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a rho variant. I mean, Omicron is going to burn itself out fast. And this is also a common pattern right, right. in epidemiology is these later evolutions infect fast and pass fast. Also, so. I... I it, am I wrong in assuming, and I don't know where I heard this, but am I wrong in assuming that these viruses, these strains, compete with each other for dominance? I mean, again, we're anthropomorphizing. Okay, but when Omicron becomes the the dominant variant, does that mean there is less uh, delta out there and less alpha? Yeah, it's it's not just that Omicron adds to the equation, it's the others diminish rapidly. Yeah. Um, because the, ultimately, because there's more people infected with that variant, right. it's more likely you're going to catch that variant. Right. So it does tend to overwhelm uh, the cases. So you can think of it like they compete with each other, but that's not really what's happening. Yeah, again, you, I, I'm trying to resist the yeah, 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 yeah. There's no intentionality. Got here. it. These are chunks of DNA right. that are working on cells, and some of them do better than others. Uh, under certain circumstances. But all you need to remember there is that when one is dominant, then the rest of them are become more and more recessive. Are, 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 and and um, all but wiped out. Yeah. Like they basically go away. Yeah. Um, Another yeah. thing I really want to say here, Richard, is that, mm -hmm. you know, we have listeners that cut across cultural barriers, that cut across sure. uh, all sorts of different types of people in terms of, you know, their... Their, their beliefs, their thoughts, their political affiliations. And we do not get political on .NET Rocks for that reason. And we do our best not we to. We do our best not to. I mean, we have lots and lots of friends on both sides of the aisles and with many, many religious philosophies, et cetera. And that's the way we like to keep it. So what we're going to talk about here pretty soon is vaccines. And this is a hot topic for you know, um, it's very divisive in in my country anyway, and yeah, only, pretty much only in the U.S. Yeah. Man, like this is not that the I mean, the U.S. has the the highest death rate in the world of COVID nineteen for a reason. Well, anyway, you let's uh, let's keep to the numbers. So you said before we started recording that you have some, you know, let's let the numbers speak for themselves, and we're not sure. Injecting so let's talk any, in the yeah at at this time. Uh, there's been about 53 million cases of COVID-19 in the U.S. and 818,000 deaths. 
Uh, and that's uh, our death ratio of about 1.5%, which is better than the world average. And the worldwide, we've had about 282 million cases of COVID, 5.4 million deaths, which is about 1.9. Yeah. So it does speak to, you know, the United States has a developed medical system. They save more people than, than the statistical average across the okay. world. Now, the CDC has uh, a detailed reporting system in place for vaccine issues. And uh, and I can include a link in the show notes for this. But the bottom line is, the, if right from the very beginning of the COVID-19 crisis, the CDC put up a, pay, put up a place basically to report all vaccine uh, interactions of any kind, any time a vaccine was involved, including any death of anyone who had been vaccinated to be reported. Okay. Now, they didn't put no qualifiers in it. You don't have to prove that it was the vaccine that killed them. Right. If they got vaccinated and on the drive and got and got killed in a car accident on the way home, that counts as a death. And they, they have a rolling one-year number. Okay, so I just looked this number up. So this is from December 14th, 2020 to December 13th, 2021. There are 10,483 deaths reported through the what they call the VAERS system. So that's someone who has died that was vaccinated. Okay. There are many reasons they may have died. Yeah. But that's the number. Okay. It's sort of the worst case scenario. So out of the 485 million doses of the vaccine that have been administered, yeah. both mRNA and the other types, the Janssen type and, and the AstraZeneca and so forth, you've you've had these 10,000 deaths. And even if you counted them all, that's 0.002 percent yeah. versus 1.5 percent for for death from COVID-19. Right, okay. Like these are pretty good numbers. More people die in car accidents by several times yeah. in a year. Right. You're talking 35 to 40,000 deaths by cars. By the way, death in cars gone up the, during the pandemic, even though we're driving less. I think we're driving more recklessly. So yeah, uh, you know, that's a these stats are pretty solid in that sense. One of the criticisms I hear is that numbers reported of deaths from COVID may not all have been caused by COVID. True. And, and it's also, yeah, it is true. But it is also true that te- people who get sick from COVID tend to have poor health in general. And uh, especially, you know... It depends on the case. Especially those, uh, there's a high percentage of people who get really sick with COVID who have, you know, the metabolic diseases. Right. Sure. Diabetes. Well, the issue of metabolic issues in the U.S. is not trivial, but also dosage seems to matter. We saw very healthy people early on when there were minimal precautions being killed by COVID, uh, typically doctors, because they were taking massive doses because they were treating people that had before all the cases, uh, before all the protections were in place. We, We learned more. Um, there's also all the long-term illness. They, again, the, the COVID seems to infect different people in different ways based on dosage and some luck. Mm-hmm. So you'll get vascular variants that are causing bleeding in the brain. Yeah. You'll get respiratory variants. You even get intestinal variants. It depends on where it ends up in the body. Yeah, that's true. And so you, and so, you really don't want it getting into your lungs because that's where it gets messed up. Is there any sort of science that shows that if you have uh if you've been vaccinated that it's less likely to go to your lungs no i that's that's physical it's just how you take okay. it in. the difference when you're vaccinated is your body's able to fight it off more effectively. okay that's simple uh, so i mean the and the point here is if vaccines were of a significant danger we've vaccinated planet-wide 3.8 billion people 
Wow. Billion with a B. Almost half of the planet is vaccinated wow. now. Uh, if there was a pro serious problem with vaccines, like we'd know. Yeah. That's too many people. Yeah. You know, we're having, we're having, you, you think about, we've had 10% fewer cases of COVID-19 than the number of people we vaccinated. We've had several million deaths there. The, it's just the numbers can't, can't lie. It's too large a number yeah. to say that the statistically we're no longer experimenting. We're no longer guessing. The stats pan out here. It is much safer to get vaccinated than it is to allow yourself to be exposed. Mm. Now, there's a there's a big story around the mRNA vaccines, and this is a significant advancement in science, right? Yeah. We've been experimenting and learning about mRNA technologies for 30-plus years. They've been proposed for a long time. The big thing that happened when the pandemic came along was that a huge amount of money was dumped into how do we build vaccines rapidly. Right. And mRNA, you know, you talk about the earliest vaccines. So the AstraZeneca, right. which came out of Oxford University, which is not an mRNA vaccine, right. These were the guys who had already developed the MERS vaccine, the previous version of a corona of a dangerous coronavirus. Before, after SARS, before COVID nineteen, there were MERS, the Middle Eastern uh, Respiratory yeah. Variant, and so they already had a vaccine template. That's why they were able to get their version, of their vaccine done as quickly as they mm -hmm. could. Where in the case of the Moderna and Pfizer, they were starting, they they were able to to take the current mRNA technology and adapt it to making a vaccine. I have a very good friend who was concerned about taking the vaccine uh, for coronavirus because um, she had read that vaccines contain heavy metals and other poisons and things like that. And um, I, I traced it back to early vaccines like the polio vaccine and things where there was aluminum found. Well, and also how they were, they, those were mostly preservatives. Yeah. That had no evidence of actually causing harm, uh, but they were removed anyway because there was a way to do it. Sure, right, but you you can see how that can, yeah, that can spiral out of control. But the mRNA vaccines don't have any of that stuff. Well, they don't need to. It's part of the reason they need to be kept so cold, right? But you know, your original, the original modern attacks on the vaccination come from the the the, the fellow and the doctor in England who was paid to write. A, a lie, a paper to uh, set up for a, a lawsuit against uh, where they, the whole autism comes from vaccination right, yeah. thing. I mean, that has been soundly disproven and, you know, charges filed and so forth. Uh, and, it, you know, it was largely ignored at the time by public health because there was a handful of, of crazy folks that were, you know, scared for their kids and, and autism on, on inappropriately. Yeah. And but it didn't matter because if you've still got 99% people vaccinated, vaccines still work pretty mm. well. Now that number had grown over the years to the point where we were now having real problems in the Western world where measles become endemic and so yeah. forth. But uh, and we were starting to push back again and on listening like vaccines are necessary for keeping people safe. And then in came COVID 19 and this just exploded in a whole other level. Yeah. Um, the thing that's amazing about it, the mRNA vaccine is for the first time ever, we're no longer asking your body to figure out how to fight the virus. Yeah. We're actually giving your body the protein saying, here, attack this protein. One of the reasons you're seeing how, how effective both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have been is that the scientists developing the vaccine specifically picked proteins on the spike of the lipid envelope yeah. of COVID-19. Yeah. 
And that had a, a bunch of additional benefits. One is that 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 antibody then can restrain the virus by blocking the ACE2 ACE2 receptor. Yeah. If the antibodies are embedded on the spike, the spike can't work correctly. Yeah. And that it can attack viruses that are still intact rather than attack than waiting until they've started to, to destroy. It's cells. like a little ball that has needles on it and you just take the needles yeah. off. Well, you, you repair the yeah. needles so they don't work yeah. correctly. And that's, uh, it's powerful, yep. right? It's And it's, it's leading to a bunch of other advancements. Now we're looking at a bunch of other diseases we should be able to treat more effectively using this technology. Mm. Um, it's it's important. Society, we've gained a new weapon in our, and, and we'll never take this long to make a vaccine again. It took a year really, to, to test the... It only took a few months to make the vaccine. It took over a year to go through the testing process. Um, we'll be faster next. There's very likely going to be an Omicron booster. Yeah. Um, you know, there are there there's work already on that. They think they can have this done in a couple of months just because the template is there. Have you uh, ever tested positive for COVID? Nope. I have. So people, people know this, right? So I got it early on uh, when I was out on the Blazer road trip and uh, our driver... Uh, I think it was out in Los Angeles or Portland or one of those places. Uh, came down with a low grade fever, got tested. No, he didn't get tested. There were no tests. He no, he basically that. we we basically said, yeah, that's enough. We're gonna we're gonna call it off. Uh, mostly because we had no idea what was you know about to happen. But out of the abundance of caution, we did. And um, a month or two later, I got tested and I was positive. And then, um, you know, I also got the the vaccines twice, you know, two two vaccines and got a booster. But um, just a couple of weeks ago, my band played a gig uh, in New London and we had um, a stand-in drummer. And the stand-in drummer rehearsed with us on Thursday. Uh, he came into the studio on Friday and I worked with him to to do a drum recording for him. And then we played mm -hmm. on Saturday. So, you know, we had, we had this going on this is just an, an anecdote. doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. So we played this whole gig and I only saw one person with a mask on. Right. right. So there was nobody, nobody had a mask on in this whole place and it was pretty much packed. It's very hard to, to play or sing anything when you have a mask on. So none of the band wore masks. So the next day, uh, we got an email from the drummer, the stand-in drummer, who says he just tested positive for COVID after coming down with some symptoms. So then my brother tested negative. Right. I tested negative. I got a booster. But then a couple days later, my brother had uh, symptoms and tested positive. Home right. test. But he had not had it before but he has been he has been vaccinated he has been vaccinated yeah and boosted and i had it uh so there was really only the only difference between us was even though i spent more time with him i had had it before and i never even had symptoms nothing, nothing no symptoms but you never tested positive either yeah no you're right i test i'd had a pcr test and i had a home test and both were negative yeah so did your body fight it off so well that the, that you couldn't even trigger the test? Maybe. I don't know. Because those tests, in the end, are looking for the detritus of the virus propagating What's in your body. What's a detritus? So the, after, after the, the virus penetrates a cell and then reproduces, it, the cell kind of blows apart. Okay. And there's copies of the virus that get spread so from that. So it leaves clues. 
Yeah, the bits and pieces that are left over is detritus. Okay. And so traditionally, if you look at SARS and, and traditional coronaviruses, which are typically only deep lung infections, mm. you breathe it in, it gets into your deep lung, it hangs around there long enough that it successfully binds to ACE receptors mm -hmm. and starts to reproduce in your deep lung. And then uh, as your body starts to fight it off and there's the, these eruptions, you start to cough, right? You, you're, you're expelling it. And so your throat gets coated with the detritus mm. of a deep lung infection. Mm. And a PCR test, that probe that goes to the back of your brain, is actually going to the back of your throat, and it's looking to pick up that detritus that then it does chemical binding with that leaves markers so that they can test positive. Well, it can, it, you swab it your nose. That's how. Yeah. The more modern versions now, we're finding there's enough of it you can you can measure inside mm -hmm. the nose, although not as accurate as that the deeper yeah. test. The deeper test, you're more likely to find the detritus there than otherwise. Okay. And part of the challenge they, they think exists with COVID-19 is because it will actually infect the throat, mm. that it's harder to, sure. to do the testing there. It's not the same, right? The tests aren't well suited to finding functional virus. They're looking for the pieces of virus. Um, the different different bindings. So, you know, we definitely have this window where it may be in your body, but you can't test positive yet. Mm. That you got to wait a few days for it to incubate to get the test. And that PCR, the deep swab tests tend to pick up on more sensitive results than the nasal tests. Interesting. They're all pretty good. They're certainly better than nothing. Mm. Uh, and, you know, some take longer and slower because they're using more detailed tests so they can sample. You work for much smaller sample sizes. Uh, but it, it is a, without a doubt a challenge, you know, and that's the thing. You think about endemic diseases, they're always around, you know, you're always carrying a certain amount of rhinovirus in your nose right. where your immune system can't really get to. It's only when your immune system is down that inhaling that virus, your body doesn't fight it off successfully and you get a cold. Yeah. You know, they, they, that's sort of reality that we're all, our bodies are always having a little skirmish wars going on with lots of different bacteria and viruses all of the time. Uh, for it to break into a big war. And this is, you know, sort of the reality of what's going to happen with COVID-19. It'll never go away. It is an endemic illness mm. now. It'll just continue to evolve, to become uh, always propagating, always around, but not making us significantly ill. Okay. And the people who don't get vaccinated uh, are, if more of those people get the vaccine, Will we have less of it, or are you saying that, nope, it's here to stay, no matter, even if we're all vaccinated, it's still going to come around? Well, the va vaccination can extinguish disease, right? We no longer have smallpox endemic in the yeah. world because we got everybody vaccinated. Um, we were almost there with polio. You know, that's one of the Gates Foundation's big pushes was to get polio vaccines into the last parts of Africa where polio was still propagating. Yeah. Uh, we had almost defeated measles before the anti-vax movement brought it back. That's right. Um, I remember that. And there was an argument that last year with the, all of the uh, protections that were barely enough to fight COVID-19 was enough to break the cycle on a couple of variants of influenza mm. that we didn't see any versions of it at all. Mm. Um, so it's there are ways to that that diseases die off. Yeah. And uh, we don't see hardly any COVID-19 alpha variants anymore. Like they're basically disappeared. So, so I hear about... I hear about herd immunity, and uh, I know that that is possible when you know more people, and when a certain critical number of people get the disease, and there's enough antibodies f floating around out there to to take care of it. But in the case of COVID, 
uh, you know, herd immunity works, but people are going to die. Well, and, and are dying. The other problem, of course, is that the variants are more infectious. So when we started talking about herd immunity at the beginning of this, the first version of COVID-19, we were looking at it from the R value of 2.6, uh, which was an extraordinarily high value for, for corona at the time. And for those who don't know R, that's a statistical significance. It's, yeah, they, they, the fact that on the average, one person would give it to 2.6 people. And that 0.6 person looks a little weird. Um, but, I wish I was 0. 0.6 of a person. <laughs> yeah, you know, diet and exercise. Anyway, the uh, the point being that, hey, you know, once we get to 70, 80% vaccination rates, the chances of you encountering unvaccinated people sufficient to maintain that R level go mm-hmm. down. The later variants were more infectious and the R's went up. And, you know, now we're in the R range in the in, in 9 to 12 which is like measles. And measles, we didn't defeat with herd immunity until we were well over 90% vaccinated. So that's sort of the reality we're facing. Because COVID has continued to evolve, um, because it was able to propagate through largely the unvaccinated, we're now getting variants that require higher and higher bar for herd immunity. Um, and herd, I mean, in some ways, because again, herd immunity is inevitable. It's only a question of how many people die right. first. Right. Right. Like we we will eventually get there. The more people that, you know, you can be really cynical about this, Carl. If you want to get really cynical, it's like, hey, you know why? Let's not ship vaccines to Africa so they will incubate the less severe versions for us. That's a very cynical view that I don't believe is true. But it is what has happened. Mm. Right. The West has largely kept the vaccines for themselves. Uh, and the, and Africa has simply had to fight this. And we are now seeing that's where the Omicron version came from. And we're going to continue to propagate, but ultimately that makes a less lethal version that is going to continue to propagate more effectively than the previous versions. Yeah. So, uh, there, I've, you may have mentioned it or may have read it somewhere that folks were worried about getting that vaccines were like antibiotics and that getting them over and over again will do damage to you. Yeah. Yeah. There's that sentiment out there that, uh, you know, every time you get jabbed, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're making yourself weaker, sicker, fill in the blank. I mean, and it's, it's simply not true. Right. I mean, they, there is a problem with antibiotics and that is that antibiotics are a compound that kills bacteria in your body indiscriminately yes now before we had antibiotics people died of getting a cut on their finger right that they got a runaway infection and so antibiotics saved a tremendous number of Mm. lives uh the byproduct of that is that the bacteria that that were being uh, defeated by the antibiotic also evolved into more and more antibiotic resistant strains there is a case for antibiotics do damage to you because they kill good bacteria as well. And so when you get an antibiotic series, the bacteria that survive tend to be the ones that propagate quickly rather than being particularly beneficial. And so this is on the edge of pseudoscience, the Mm -hmm. whole, hey, taking acidophilus and sort of beneficial bacteria to make sure you recolonize your body with good bacteria. The, the problem is we still don't have real good maps That's of the true. bacteriological systems of the, of the body. I mean, there's just so many millions and millions and millions and billions of strains of bacteria. It's insanely complicated. Yeah. 
And if you think back to that geek out I did about glyphosate, where we talked about that there may be prokaryotic bacteria in your body that are being killed by glyphosate that are actually beneficial. Yeah. Like it, it is a complicated uh, set of concepts and it is specific to antibiotics because they do kill bacteria. Vaccines don't do that. Right. right? Vaccines train your immune system to attack a particular illness, a particular virus. Uh, and that's all they do. They don't do any But more not a particular bacteria. There isn't any such thing no. as an mRNA vaccine for a bacterial infection. Well, there could be because in the end, all an mRNA vaccine does is, is provide, convince your body to produce a protein and engage your immune system to learn to build antibodies against that protein. Full stop. Could that work against a bacteria? Yeah, it could. Interesting, right? We are now they're now talking about being able to make a malaria vaccine using the mRNA technologies to attack the plasmoid. The main thing is to, that in the end antibodies tag a cell as a risk as a as an enemy to the body so that your immune system can attack yeah. it. So, I mean, and this is why they were looking at it for treating cancer where they could custom tailor a vaccine for your tumor. You know, that, that, that was the advantage of this approach is that it's quite generalized in that sense that you can, you're specifying what proteins your body should learn to attack. I think I brought this up last year, but uh, we talked a little bit about CRISPR, or CRISPR-Cas9, which is a, a gene yeah. editing tool for, to, to completely yes. simplify it, um, which actually will change your genetic code. Well, could, depending on how it's applied. Right. It could change your genetic code for, you know, for th uh, therapeutic purposes, right? If there, if there seems to be a gene in your body's cells that is wreaking havoc and just by switching that gene off or that sequence, taking it out or whatever would result in, you know, um, in a therapy, then they can use that. But that's sure. not what mRNA is. No. mRNA is simply providing a protein for your body to learn to fight against so that you are like every vaccine arming your body with the ability to fight the illness before you get the illness. Yeah. Right. In this case, instead of, give, you know, in the old days, the old vaccine approach was we weaken the vaccine or we damage in some way so that it's, it's still enough to trigger your immune system, not enough to make you right. sick. And it was a very tough balancing act. That's why it took so long to make the vaccines. Yeah is to not to make it strong enough that your immune system responds mm -hmm. to it, but not so strong that it makes yeah. you ill. Uh, mRNA simplifies this by simply focusing on particular proteins that are on, that are specific to that particular virus that your body now knows how to learns how to attack. So I guess what I heard you saying a few system. minutes ago is that there is hope that we can break the cycle of uh, antibiotic resistance with enough time and research, you know, using this technique. This mRNA. Well, we did the antibiotics geek out a while ago, and there and one of the points, one of the reasons I did that show originally was that the for a while there we stopped making new antibiotics, and so we were running low on ones that were able to deal with more and more resistant uh, uh, illnesses. But we are making new ones again. We've discovered new places for antibiotics, and so that that pattern is being fought against. But uh, so the, the antibiotics aren't going by the wayside. Yeah. Can mRNA be applied to more things? Yeah, you yeah. bet. You know, the, the side effect of the pandemic has been a huge bunch of money spent to mature this technology yeah. that now gives us an opportunity to fight more illness, to keep more people healthy for longer. Right. Uh, and that's mostly good news. And, you know, say what you want about Donald Trump, but he was the guy that uh, set all that money in motion 
for the research that ultimately ended. Oh yeah, his fast tracking got, he spent that money and it worked out. I mean, you can always argue about how efficiently right. it went. He's also the guy out there today saying, get vaccinated and get your booster, right? For a reason. He's vaccinated and boosted for a reason. It'll keep you alive. Yeah. And it is ultimately the path to ending the pandemic. We will continue to have an endemic disease for some period of time after that. But the pandemic part of this goes away with vaccination, ultimately. Words to live by. Yeah. All right. So that's what we got on the pandemic. But there's a related issue that's going on because of the pandemic, which is the supply chain problem. And uh, if you don't know what that is, you know, basically, uh, you're going to have to wait for your favorite products, goods and services, because uh, all of the things that make up those products mostly uh, are, are hard to come by because people are simply sick. And there are, and yeah. factories well, are, I think uh, the, you know, having a hard time. The lockdown, you know, you think back to the early days with the lockdown and stuff. People did a lot less stuff. So it seems like they bought more mm. stuff. So we did put stress on our supply chain system right away because we all went to, to the, you know, instead of going to the store to pick it up, it was safer to order yeah. it in. Uh, you know, delivery demands went up substantially. That's true. Uh, certainly supply chain was affected by the pandemic. Things were shut yeah. down, got disorganized. People did get sick and all of those are an issue. Um, but do you think about earlier this year, 2021 in the spring and stuff, they were talking about the supply chain crisis. Um, going back to the, the port of Los Angeles, right. which is the largest container port on the West coast of, of the mm -hmm. U.S., Normally, there are no ships waiting there. If you, as a ship arrives, it goes directly into dock, it unloads, and it goes on yeah. its way. There have been backlogs since October of 2020, ships waiting. I just checked this before we started recording. It's over 100 ships right now. Wow. So, and, and the weather is bad enough that they can't all anchor out. So, some of them are literally motoring in circles because there's so many ships, which, by the way, you know, every one of those ships has 15 to 35, 40, uh, sailors yeah, right. on board who are not allowed to go to land. And, and some of them are there for months. That's crazy. Uh, it's a lot of people. And these uh, they're waiting for space on the LA port to get unloaded. And what's happened at the LA port is that there's so many containers. Uh, they weren't being moved out fast enough. There was just no room to put them. Now, the system has continued to function. It's just run slower. So, you know, you're running months behind, essentially. And it's one of those traffic jam problems where... It, the system was already pretty saturated before the yeah. pandemic and had its own weaknesses. But as that increased load came up and there was some disruptions, you suddenly get to the traffic jam situation where a 25% increase in load is more creates far more than a 25% decrease in, in performance. I, you have this fall off the cliff effect on the performance side. I experienced this firsthand uh, earlier this year, 2021, uh, and I purchased these um, mixer heads, which are very technical and very new and very hot, uh, for, for recording and doing live sound and all of that stuff. And I ordered two of them and they were backlogged everywhere, everywhere. Nobody yep. had them. Nobody had them. So I just, I picked one vendor and I said, just, uh, you know, here's my money. Just let me know as soon as you have them. And it literally took five months to get these things. And it, that also speaks to factory problems. Like a lot, there was a lot of just, the, the modern factory approach is a sort of just-in-time yeah. approach where you're bringing in the parts you're going to need almost every right. day to build things. You have very little in inventory. Right. And so as soon as you had disruptions on key parts in any way, it's like your whole line stopped. 
And then that has a, a knock-on effect. People that were waiting for your part now, they're also missing a part, and they didn't have enough to right. spare. Uh, and this is where you saw cars not having their computers. Right. So the, the rest of the car was built but didn't have a computer, so can't finish the car, right? It's those kinds of knock-on effects. And one would argue, you know, if you're really following the Toyota way, which said not don't store in inventory, mm. but only store enough that you would need to deal with those fluctuations, right. you would have had enough uh, of those computer chips in stock because you recognize those are parts that can be delayed for months and it takes a long time to gear yeah. up again. So, you know, we have to carry enough of them. And some shops did a better job than others. Yeah. So you have you have that effect as well. But a lot of this is certainly on the U.S. side comes down to the trucking problem, and and the trucking problem is is complex, especially in the U.S., which is you know you don't move a lot of you use bulk goods by mm -hmm. rail. You don't move a lot of people by rail. You move some containers by rail, but most containers move by truck. And so, for better or worse, truck driving in the U.S. Uh, professional truck driving is uh, a super fragmented business that's very boom and bust. Mm -hmm. I mean, the largest trucking companies, the industry of, of trucking, mm -hmm. of moving stuff by truck in the U.S. is about an $800 billion. Like, it's insane wow. how huge it is. The largest trucking company is a company called Knight Swift, which makes about $5 billion. Wow. So this is not like, like in shipping, like in container shipping, there are 10 carriers that are like 85% of the business. Yeah. Right. Maersk and, the, and those likes, like that's the majority of it, a handful of companies. That's not how the U.S. is. The typical trucking company in the U.S. is a single truck, if you look at the median. Hmm. Um, maybe two or three. It's mostly owner-operated or one guy with a few trucks, because these trucks are expensive, right? They're $200,000, mm. and they're only good for a few years before they have to go to lighter work than a long haul, right? You get about three years out of a truck. And so... And a driver drives 100,000 miles a year, makes 50 mm -hmm. grand. It's the, one of the highest paid jobs that a high school graduate right. can get. But it's a hard job. You're away right. a lot. And so that fragmented market means you have this sort of boom and bust cycle. And, and, you know, studying this a bit, I saw that in 2018 was a huge year for trucking in the U.S. Like a lot of people made a lot of money. It was very, very busy. And then in 2019, there were too many trucks on, on the road. And 1,100 quote-unquote trucking companies, typically a single owner-operator, mm. 1,100 went bankrupt mm. in 2019. Uh, 2020, with the economic downturn, now you had this sort of surge and decline. Like you think the demand would be huge, but you had to shut down so some people weren't working. I know a trucker who basically uh, quit in 2020 and then, yeah. and then picked it back up in 2021. Because the demand yeah. was so high. So there were 3,000 so-called trucking companies. Again, I'm just using the DMB classifications mm -hmm. that shut down in 2020. And so then the demand surged, uh, you know, and then crashed again. And so these guys need to be payments every mm -hmm. month, right? Like this is not fully fungible. You commit to a truck and then you drive your ass off for a mm -hmm. month at a minimum at this low rate. So, you know, you're only just making, just barely making enough. Then you don't drive for yeah. a whole month. Then the truck gets seized. You're out, right? Like that's what happens. Wow. And so the side effect of this was just not enough trucks, right? The container backlogs came down. And now the you get, there's the long haul trucks. There's the short haul mm. trucks. There's also what they call yard trucks, right? The trucks that actually move stuff around in the container yards. And those guys are specially qualified. Working in those container yards is very dangerous and, and, and difficult job. And they lost a bunch of them and they're not quickly replaced. Mm. 
So the yards had problems moving containers. So it just wasn't efficient. Wow. Um, now, the, and again, these are known problems that just got exacerbated by the pandemic yeah. and the system tipped over. But if you go back to the spring, when we were told, like, order early for Christmas, everything's going to go sideways. I don't know if you noticed, but stuff didn't really go no, that sideways at Christmas. Well, that's because some big companies did stuff. Did stuff. Yeah. Amazon, Walmart, Target, a lot of the largest retailers in the U.S. had been playing with their own trucking service. Amazon especially, going back to 2017, had started doing their own container handling. Mm. Now, the the way they did this is pretty clever. The In the U.S., long-haul trucks can pull something bigger than a regular container. Containers are normally measured in what they call a TEU or 20-foot unit. Okay. Right? And typically you put two of them together, 40-foot unit. Okay. Right? The 40-foot unit will fit on a truck very easily or on a rail car mm-hmm. and so forth. But actually, um, commercial trucks in the U.S. can fit bigger than that. They can fit 53-foot units with called super. Okay. And those will also fit in an intermodal train as well. But they won't fit on a container ship. And so 53s typically only move on land. Hmm. They, they're not typically used at sea. So what Amazon's been doing for the past few years is building their own 53-foot containers and moving them with bulk carriers rather than mm-hmm. container ships. So during this crisis with the backlog, they've moved far more of their workload over to these 53-foot containers between China and the U.S. They ship them on bulk carriers, and then they send them to smaller terminals where they're handled by regular crane rather than by container crane, which are made for 40-foot units, and then loaded directly onto trains and trucks. Mm. And so one of the reasons Christmas didn't fall apart this year is many of the biggest retailers moved their loads off of the regular container system and onto the 53-foot system. Wow. And it speaks to me of, you know, this is how Amazon made the cloud by accident, right? They were trying to standardize computing units so that other retailers could sell their stuff yeah. through Amazon. And they needed to be able to scale it dynamically. And they've been working on their own logistical engine for a while. There are two companies that I, I was made aware of going through looking at this. Amazon Log, uh, Global Logistics is what's called a non-vessel operating common carrier. That's an international standard. They set up that entity in 2016. Uh-huh. But its job is to handle um, the buying and selling of container traffic uh, onto ships around the world. Wow. And then there's another am- entity called Amazon Logistics, which is a licensed property freight broker. And that's, again, another difficult to qualify for service, but it's specifically to bypass. You get to pick your port, pick how you move things, like you have more control over all your yeah. logistics. So it's clear to me Amazon is building out their entire isolated supply chain end to end. That they, they And they're doing it with these larger containers. So they move more. They move them in through different ports. They move them on their own rail cars to their own trucks. Wow. I don't, I can't imagine at some point they won't start selling that service. Yeah, right. Well. Um, you know, but it's a byproduct of the pandemic that it's just really accelerated this whole process. And it, it can't be cheaper than, you know, getting the, than using the existing systems that are out there. Sure. But the new, the, you know, the consolidation of the, of the container business ha, in, into those handful of companies has also made them lazy. Hmm. Right. Think of it from the perspective of comparing a taxi to an Uber. Not that Uber is a, co- a good company in any way, but one of the reasons that rideshare took a hold with Uber and left in the others is that the taxi system had had yeah. a monopoly. Right. They were largely had control over their markets. The container system is very much the same way. There's a handful of big ships for a handful of big ports with standardized system to minimize cost to get those containers as cheap as possible. And it broke down when it was put under stress. 
And these other companies now have found the workaround. Yeah, it might be more expensive, but that cost gets passed on to the consumer. The difference was those companies had products in stock when you wanted them for mm. Christmas and other companies didn't. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a whirlwind of information as usual, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i find it absolutely fascinating and it's an interesting byproduct and it's interesting to think about that from a anti-competitive competitive perspective right. you know amazon getting further further down the supply chain you know at what point are they setting up their own factories much less that they're now from the factory to the distribution center to your home control santa's everything. workshop <laughs> they got the elves yeah, seems building like all the products yeah <laughs> Um, so there's a whole bunch more stuff that we want to talk about that you want to talk about. So what do you say? One more geek out after this or with maybe, maybe two, let's see what happens. Two. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't expect to spend an hour on pandemic related topics today, but we did. Yeah. So let's uh, call this a show and let it stand on its own. Okay. And then we'll make some more on some more fun subjects. Like space. Uh, space. Yeah. And the state of energy on this planet is a, a really, really very cool. And those things are less timely, I think, than what we did today. So it's a good thing that we talked about the pandemic first. I'm, I'm not going to complain, friend. There are worse problems as well. All right, Richard. Thanks a lot. You bet. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.